Now, the Wealth Protection Diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist, president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating. Her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. According to a recent study, a whopping 40 million or 45% of working Americans have not saved even one penny for retirement. This is sobering news. The study, conducted by the nonprofit National Institute on Retirement Security, also found that of those who do save, they have an average of merely $2,500 socked away. This represents about a 17% drop from 2013, and for those folks age 55 to 64, the median savings hovers around 14500 It's no wonder Americans believe the nation faces a retirement crisis because the evidence is irrefutable that the hope of retirement is out of reach for millions of middle-class Americans. Americans simply are not getting ready for their golden years. In fact, 62% of those households with some form of retirement savings have saved less than one year's annual income, which of course will make their retirement unsustainable. My guest, Carl Richards, is a certified financial planner and columnist for the New York Times, where his weekly Sketch Guy column has run every Monday for over five years. He is also a columnist for Morningstar Magazine and a contributor to Yahoo Finance. Welcome, Carl. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, as I was reading the intro of your new book, and I mean your brand new book, The One-Page Financial Plan, I found it spot on with the initial message that most of us are completely overwhelmed with just the concept of creating a financial plan, which forces us to think about and actually face our financial future. It's all true. It's a real challenge. I think there is a unique sense of anxiety. I believe this is backed up not only by my own experience, but by research. I believe there's this unique sense of anxiety that goes along with money, right? Not only do we have to deal with the math and the statistics of it all, there's also something about money that's particular. And I believe it has something to do with this idea that we were never trained how to talk about it, right? Like we were always taught you know, money, sex, politics, and religion. Those are those four things we were taught never to talk about in polite company. So we have no sort of, we have no, we have no tools in the tool bag to talk about it. So then you add on top of it the fact that it's something that we anticipate to be, it should be a, you know, like a spreadsheets and calculator discussion. You know, it's all rational. Two plus two always equals four. And then we get there, and it's really emotional. Like the statistics you just read, that, I mean, I felt sad listening to those. You know what I mean? Like you, you, there, there, there's a sense there. So really, like the last thing we feel like we want to do is to dive into that morass of really sort of potent mixture of anxiety and worry and fear 
and complexity. And so it's no wonder people avoid it. Right. Well, and, and it's daunting, as you said, because, I mean, anyone that, you know, has had any age behind them and you go buy a home or you want to apply for a loan or even just a credit card and the financial documents you have to complete are overwhelming and they don't make sense and they're repetitive. And so for a lot of us, you know, when you think about, gosh, wouldn't it be just nice if I could just, you know, write in my checkbook and look at it every once in a while and now I'm on the right financial track. But it doesn't work that way. But you know what? It also really doesn't have to be as hard and as complex as we've been led to believe. I don't mean that in some big, you know, conspiracy theory sort of way. I just it does not need to be as hard as complex and as complex as we think it it it, it needs to be. And um, it's it's actually relatively simple. Now I didn't say easy, but it is actually relatively simple. Right, and that's one of the uh, cool things. As I was looking through your book, the one page financial plan, which congratulations because it was just released a couple of weeks ago. And I'm sure it's already hit uh, bestseller status as we're speaking, because the way that you write, it's a simple way to be smart about your money is what's on the book. But the way that you write, the way that you're able to lay out very complex concepts in simple to understand, easy to understand language is truly a blessing. And so thank you for that. Well, thank you, you. You, you know, because it's based on, you know, a lot of years of you being a certified financial planner and working with thousands of clients and, and pretty much we all end up in the same pattern, right? That's kind of what you discovered. We don't talk about money. We don't even like to think about money, yet our entire life, our entire everything is all wrapped around money. It's, it's almost gotten out of balance as far as I'm concerned. I think it's rather unfortunate, but money has become almost kind of the water we swim in, if you will. Our biggest fears, the thing that keeps us up at night, are all kind of wrapped up in money. It's serious business. And so to me, my whole goal was to make this a little bit easier and walk people through sort of the steps, kind of break it down to simple discussions and simple questions you could have to start making some progress, particularly for people who feel like there might be no hope. Like whether you're old or young, you know, we're all like based on the statistics we all know, um, what do we do? How do we address this stuff? And not only giving people the specific tools and techniques to deal with kind of the math side of it, but also the emotional, like give people sort of a lay of the emotional landscape so they'll know how to navigate it. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with guest Carl Richards, who is the author of The One-Page Financial Plan. And so, Carl, you you talk a lot about the emotions around money. And, of course, we've seen in every culture, movie, book, you know, anytime it's related around money, it's either it feels good or it feels bad. And we do have a lot of emotion around money. For a lot of us, you know, like you said, we weren't taught about money as young people or our role models or the people that we looked at who were demonstrating use of money could have been good experiences or not good experiences, but we carry all that with us. As a financial planner and someone who's worked with a lot of people, one of the things you address up front is really we've got to boil it down and figure out what is your relationship to money. One of the things I think we need to kind of get 
hopefully put in the rearview mirror is this idea of feeling bad or good about money. And I, I, here, here's what I mean. Like, the very first step in all of this is just to sort of, first of all, put on our, I like to say, put on your sort of no shame, no blame hats as you dive into this conversation, right? So you're going to sit down. Let's say it's time to get sort of a financial plan in place. And don't, maybe I should use a different word so people don't get nervous. Let's just say it's time to spend a little bit of time planning for your financial future, right? Mm-hmm. So now, now, we, now we don't have to worry about the thing called the financial that plan. That plan, that dusty you're, document, you're gonna, yes. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You're just going to sit down and you're going to have a conversation about your financial features. Now, before you have a conversation, often it's, often it's going to involve somebody else. It might be a spouse or partner. But even if it doesn't, you're going to have to deal with the past sometimes comes up. So our first rule is no shame, no blame when it comes to the past. Because it doesn't do you any good to feel any shame or blame. It's not going to do, I don't know anybody who's benefited from shame or blame. So they are what they are. They're lessons to help us prevent things in the future. But we're just going to put on our little no shame, no blame hats and have some discussions. And we're just, the first step is just to start noticing, noticing when we think about money, when we use money, just noticing it, just saying, oh, isn't that interesting, right? I just spent more money than I thought I should on that. It, I want your new favorite phrase to be, isn't that interesting, right? Not, not oh, my oh, God. Geez, <laughs> yeah, how, how stupid could you be? Why did you do that again? Just, and, and, and particularly as a, let's say as a partner or a spouse, like, my wife's really good at this. Instead of her saying, Carl, that was really dumb, she just says, well, that's interesting, Right? And, and she's not doing it to trick me. She's just helping me notice. So that's the first step in removing this bad or good, this judgment issue, is we just want to start noticing. And believe me, this is a little trick. It's, it, it, I have found, and I think there's a growing body of research, that by increasing our awareness around an issue, non-judgmental awareness, uh, I don't want to sound like some sort of new age hippie guy, I'm just saying non-judgmental awareness will, is the best thing we can do to actually lead to behavior change which is the next step, right? Right. It's hard for people to create that awareness because we're doing a lot of our spending or lack of planning or we're one way personally and a different way in business. And that would be a lot of it's just the subconscious, right? We're just doing it because that's the way we've always done it. And I think a great part of your message is we have to start being aware and cognizant and really digging kind of deep into what is our emotional connection and how do we feel about something. I I did a whole exercise of uh, probably a couple of months ago. I don't know if you've ever heard of tapping or it's all these things around again. When as soon as I say, write down, you know, how much is in your savings account, what are the two feelings that immediately pop out, right? <laughs> we have to first understand our our feelings around these choices, and only then that awareness can we then move into a change in behavior. Sherry, let's make it even simpler. Like we don't have to spend any time thinking about why or exploring our feelings around. I mean, let's just start with something super simple. Just simply notice. That's it. Like, don't even, don't ask why. Like, why did I spend that? Or why do I feel that way? Don't ask why at all. Just put that one away too. 
all I want you to do is just say, isn't that it? Just notice. And just the act of noticing, bringing awareness to it, will lead to behavioral change and allow us to have some of these more important conversations, like, you know, so we can get to the real nuts and bolts of things about, like, how do we start talking about money? How do we create a financial plan? And how do we implement it going forward? The first step is just to bring awareness to it. Not why, not bad or good, no judgment, just, isn't that interesting? That is interesting to me, and we're going to pick up on that thought process when we come back with my guest, Carl Richards, who just launched his brand new book, The One-Page Financial Plan. This is Jim Rogers from Boy Scouts of America. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she cares about our community. Sherry Hill is the wealth protection diva. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. This is Sandra Yancey from Dallas, Texas. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she's a business rock star, a woman clear about who she is and what she wants to do and is making it happen. Sherry Hill is the wealth protection diva. Sherry Hill is a businesswoman's best friend. Welcome back to The Sherry Hill Show, doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. Why don't people save for their golden years? When it comes to socking it away, there are three characteristics. The first is low-income wage earners whose cost of living requires all the money they have. The second, people who are too busy to plan or are procrastinators. And third, there are those who simply don't know how to save and have trouble wading through the many complex messages out there. Carl Richards, a certified financial planner and best known as being the sketch guy in the New York Times who makes complex financial concepts easy to understand, has released his newest book, The One-Page Financial Plan, A Simple Way to Be Smart About Your Money. So Carl, Warren Buffett said to invest successfully over a lifetime does not require a stratospheric IQ, unusual business insights, or inside information. What's needed is a sound framework for making decisions and the ability to keep emotions from corroding that framework. So in our last segment, we were talking about the fact that, you know, just the conversation of money and all of that, and, and you want to move us away from all that deep emotional stuff into just noticing and, and really starting to create awareness. How do we really move out of those behaviors that are not helping us be as successful as we could? Financial planning, now, and I'm using that term broadly because it could be spending saving, or that reference you just made to Warren Buffett's quote about investing specifically, it often requires us to say no to things, right? To make trade-offs, right? We're, we're going to decide to save a little bit today 
for something far in the future and instead of spending something today. And so it, we're, we're always, at least everybody, most of the people I know, it's going to require trade-offs. Now, the key to making those trade-offs successfully often is discipline. And discipline, I think, is much easier. It's much easier to say no to something, as Stephen Covey used to say. It's much easier to say no to something if we have a much deeper yes. And so to me, the, the first thing to, to do to combat bad behavior, whether it's with your investments, and we could talk about that if you'd like to, the specific bad behaviors, but, but the, the first thing to do is get really clear about why you're doing it. And so that involves getting really clear about your financial values and your goals. Like to use a, a more clear word, like what are your goals? And I have found that if you have a set of goals that you've, you've been thoughtful of, right, and you've got them written down. I, I don't necessarily advocate putting them on the mirror and repeating them to yourselves every day. I'm just saying you've, you've taken the time to write them down. Then when these behaviors come up, let's say like the market gets scary and you're tempted to sell at the wrong time, and we all know how hard that is given what we just went through in 2007, 8, and 9, you can say something like, oh, that's right. I've got this set of goals. And these goals, based on these goals, I've determined that these investments were the best way to get me there. And I knew going into it that it could be scary. And so therefore, since my goals haven't changed, I probably should just stay the course. Right? That's the hope. It's connecting our spending, our savings, and our investing investment activities to a set of underlying goals. One of the interesting things is that a lot of people, I mean, they have a list of 100 goals. And of course, we're talking about, as I mentioned before, and as you've mentioned, you know, our entire world, it's like this this money is become, I don't like to use the term important, but I mean, it's like it regulates everything we can or can't do, right? I mean, we, we work for it, we have to spend it, it's just, it's all there, it's all present, so what do you find, though, when you're working with a lot of your clients and, of course, people that aren't familiar with you and working with you, and then they get introduced to you, to really nail down, here's where you are, here's where you want to go, what, what are the kind of goals that are going to get me there? You hit on a really important point. I think that, in fact, chapter two of the book is called, and I, and I use this word very specifically, or on purpose, right? Guess at your goals. I think the reason I think using the word guess is important is that sometimes there's this sense, this almost palpable sense of anxiety around the, when we ask people to make goals. I mean, think of what we often do when we say, okay, let's plan for the future. We're saying, all right, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, what are your utility bills going to be? And, and that, that false sense of precision leads people to say, forget it. I don't need, I don't care. I mean, most of us don't know where we're going to be six months from now, let alone 20 right. years from now. So, so I think the way to do that is, right, first have this conversation about your values, which, which I outline in the book, which is just sort of asking yourself one simple question. Why is money important to you? And, and, and it would take us a long time to explain it, so just go read it. But, but after you've done that, you're going to guess at your goals. And it may look something like this. Hey, you know, I think, and the reason we use the word guess is you don't know. I mean, you may know today, but I want to give you permission to relax a little bit and know that your guess is probably going to change. Right? Next week, you may decide that goal you had that you thought was so important isn't all that important. 
And so we're going to guess. We're just going to put kind of a stake in the ground to aim at out there. And we're going to be committed, Sherry, not to the guess, but we're going to be committed to the process of guessing. So we're going to make the best guess we can about what we think our goals are today. Hey, I think I'd like to, you know, in 10 years, I'd like to slow down a bit. And I still want to work because I love my work, but maybe I'll go teach at the university instead of practice as a physician. You know, I think at that point, it'd be nice to take a little bit more time off and travel. You know, like, so we, we sort of guessed. And then a couple years from now, we may go, wow, I, I, I'm really enjoying this new clinic that we opened. I don't know that I want to go teach. Okay, you change the goal. But don't give up on goals just because we they're guesses. Right? Give yourself a little bit of permission to just realize, hey, they're, they're guesses. They're going to change. But I'm going to be committed to continuing to kind of every once in a while update my guesses and keep moving towards them. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with special guest Carl Richards, who just launched his wonderful new book, The One-Page Financial Plan. And so, Carl, as you were talking and, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, 20 years from now or whatever, and it's it's just kind of funny because like you, I'm, you know, what am I going to be doing in six months? But there are certain things that we should be, as I mentioned in all these early statistics, that we do have to think a little bit about our financial future unless you want to, you know, live out of a shopping cart, right? I mean... Right. Yeah, for sure. So there should be for some sure. standard goals and then all the other stuff. Yeah, I think taking the time every once in a while and part of creating a one-page financial plan is taking the time to get, Yeah, I, I like to call it dealing with your current reality, right? To get real about what is required. I mean, wow, when you sit down, we've got four kids and the oldest one's just turned 18 and she's going to go away to school next year. And, and when we sat down... Unfortunately, not early enough, but a couple years ago and calculated what it was going to cost to put them through college. I mean, it's an eye opener. So I think every once in a while, taking the time to get really clear about like, what is it going to take to pay for college? What is it going to take to retire? You know, or, or, you know, and again, retirement is meaning taking on a whole new meaning these days. But what is that going to take? Well, it's going to take some sacrifice now. And and those goals, right, again, but it is a, it's still a guess. I think I'm going to need about this. I mean, the numbers are in the millions, right? Like, it's a lot of money. Um, it, well, and even if it's not in the millions, 500000 that's still a lot of money relative to the number we cited at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. So it does require that we get clear about that early and adjust some behavior. The earlier, the better. You know, saving $50 a month when you're 20 is going to add up a lot. I mean, I hope we can get people to believe that, but the the impact of that over the over the next 30 years of your life is huge. So, yeah, you can't it's not like you can just be kind of everything's fine just because I use the word guessing. If you have a realistic guess about retirement, it's it, it's going to it's going to sort of shock you a little bit into reality of like you better get serious about it as soon as you can right and and of course that's you know being realistic about where you are but it's funny because you're talking about you know putting a kid through college and i taught my daughter very early the power of using you know the leverage of using other people's money and she realized that i meant me i guess but (laughs) (laughs) 
So this is kind of where we come back into that daunting feeling because when you think, you know, just like you, you've got four kids and you're calculating out what is it going to take to put four kids through college? And so secretly you're probably going, I wish the third one decides just to be an entrepreneur, right? You know, sure. <laughs> but you yeah. have to, you have to prepare for it and give them the opportunity. We have to be realistic and go, there are certain things that we are going to be responsible for. And so what do I need to do today? I don't care what age to prepare for that. And I think that's where it becomes hard for people because it's all about, as you said, the word sacrifice. So when yeah. you talk to people about that, I mean, what's their first reaction? Maybe I can use my own reaction, for example, like, like our 18-year-old daughter. We sat down a couple of years ago and walked her through. I mean, really, it was sort of probably two years ago when she started thinking about this and walked her through. You know, like, we would love if she could get into a, a, an Ivy League school. We'd love to be able to pay for that, but we can't. And so we walked her through what we were willing to do, or able, sorry, not even willing, able to do, and 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 then what impact it would be on her if she chose to still go to one of those schools, right? Like the level of debt she'd have to take on and why we thought that might be a good decision. And that did inform the decision she ultimately made, right? Mm -hmm. And, and she, she got into the honors program at a state school in our state. And so, like, she's going to get every bit as good an education as she could have gotten elsewhere. But it's going to be less – but she – that informed her decision. Now, that was a sacrifice for her. It was a sacrifice for us. It, it, but it was real. And so it, it doesn't do us any good to sort of run away from these things. I think the, the, in answer to your specific question, what are people's response? It's, I mean, look, you've got to deal with sometimes we're, we have disappointment. Disappointment is often the difference between our expectations and reality. And since, and you could probably see one of my Sharpie drawings there, right? Like the difference between expectations and reality, I could just see it in my head. Since we can't adjust reality, then we probably need to adjust our expectations a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and then realize, like, we don't need any woe is me sitting in the corner complaining. Like, the reality is most of the research shows if our ultimate goal is to be happy anyway, it doesn't involve necessarily a lot of money. Like, it's experiences with people you love. And those experiences can be expensive ones, like trips, but they can also be simple ones, like a walk in your local neighborhood while you chat. So, it, but the point here is we've got to get real about this stuff, no matter where you are. And, and yes, I understand, and believe me, I understand, it's often painful. But it does us no good to run from it. It's time to get clear about it, and let's deal with reality by focusing on some of the little things we can control over time. That sense of control will grow and and the change that we're making will, will start to pile up and we'll look back and go, wow, I'm glad I dealt with this sooner rather than later. Yes. All right. Well, we have to go to break. We come back. I'm going to pick up on this fascinating conversation with Carl Richards, author of The One Page Financial Plan. This is Phil Johncock from Las Vegas. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she represents a for-profit voice and inspires me to think creatively outside the box in how the nonprofit sector can improve itself. Sherry Hill is awesome. She's the best. 
Sage International Incorporated fosters the entrepreneurial spirit by first educating our clients. In fact, we wrote the best-selling book, Incorporate and Get Rich, as recommended by Robert Kiyosaki in his bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For over 20 years, we've taught thousands of business owners, investors, professionals, and entrepreneurs how to properly structure their business and personal assets to avoid the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, liability exposure, probate and death taxes. Call Sage International Incorporated at 1-800-254-5779 to set up a free 30-minute consultation. That's 1-800-254-5779. Sage International. Next week on The Sherry Hill Show, Megan McIntosh, Ph.D., is a former university professor and currently a coach, author, and workshop leader at her company, Emphasis on Excellence, Inc. She loves to work with people who are overwhelmed and would prefer to be overjoyed instead. Join us next week with more from Megan McIntosh, Ph.D., as you learn about your emphasis on excellence. This is Misty Young, the restaurant lady. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she embodies, lives, and teaches entrepreneurs to be successful. Sherry Hill is entrepreneurism in action. Welcome back to The Sherry Hill Show doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. Almost everything we're taught about money is focused on spending it and saving it. Parents, teachers, and even personal finance books discuss saving money as keeping it, increasing it, and controlling it. Saving money involves figuring out ways to get more of it to build a bigger cushion. We're taught that's the ultimate goal. In contrast, spending money is described as budgeting or cutting back. We're even told that we should create habits that make spending painful, like cutting up credit cards and carrying only cash. We shouldn't feel good about spending money. For as long as my guest, Carl Richards, a certified financial planner, can remember, that's how he's defined these two concepts, saving good, spending bad. Carl is a dynamic international speaker and author well-known for his ability to simplify the most complex money ideas. His way with words and images has attracted a loyal following to his blog posts for the New York Times, appearances on national public radio, and his columns and lectures. His first book, The Behavior Gap, will teach you how to rethink all kinds of situations where your perfectly natural instincts for safety or success can cost you money and peace of mind. Carl, you recently wrote that we should treat money like a tool. Don't spend it, use it. So tell us what you mean. That's such a great um, topic. Thank you for bringing that up. I, I just... I, I'm, I'm really, kind of, I don't know what the right word is. I want to use the word frustrated with this, this idea that we've been living with for, I don't know how long. I mean, I don't know if it's 100 years. It's been a long time that spending is bad and saving is good, these sort of judgment labels we put on stuff. And particularly the thing you just mentioned, like we're taught that we should make, we should make spending painful, 
It should be painful to spend money. And my only question is, how well has that worked for us? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and and it, it seems like it should work, but it hasn't worked at all. And I think we need to take a new approach. And the new approach is just, we've talked about it already, this idea of just being aware. And when you're aware, you start to think of it as, oh, you realize it's not bad or good. It's a tool. Money is a tool. And so we simply decide, it's a, and in my mind, it's a tool for kind of one thing. I mean, ultimately, it's happiness, but it could be you know freedom or security, depending on how you define it. It's a tool for us to use to ultimately bring us happiness. And if we understand it that way, then we can slowly start to align the way we use it with that goal. Instead of saying bad or good, what may bring me happiness today is to spend some money on an experience with my wife, let's say, or to spend some money to you know, go on a trip. That may bring me happiness, and that's okay. In fact, it's not only is it okay, once I decide to do that, what good is it going to do? In fact, i got to tell you, Sherry, real quickly this story. I, I told my wife one day, this is a couple years ago, when I bought into this whole pain idea, and I, I said, I'm going to tear up my credit card. I'm only use cash because it's really got to be, I mean, spending's really got to be painful. And she looked at me and she goes, why? Like, what, and what good would that do? And I, so we determined we would buy something. We had the budget to buy it. We were going to go buy it. And now you should feel bad for buying it? Like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And I was like, well, thank you for being honest. Well, that's because you were trying to take her credit cards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, but she, the point is really valid. Like, yeah. if I've determined that I, what would bring me happiness is to take my kids on a trip next week for spring break, then why should I feel bad about it? What good is it going to do me? In fact, it's going to ruin the whole trip if we spend the whole time feeling bad about it. Right. So... And and at this and then the flip side is if I've determined that security, you know, twenty years down the road is really important to me, then there's going to be some moments where I'm going to have to say no to something that might bring me happiness today in exchange for that security in the future. And I think we there's just no way to pawn this off on anyone else. You've got to get clear about that yourself so you can make that decision for yourself each time. Because I don't care how many times. It's like, think about this. If you're an alcoholic, locking the alcohol in the cabinet in the house is not going to help because you will find a way to get in the cabinet. Right. You know what I'm saying? So instead, we need to figure out from the inside out how to make these decisions that are aligned with the way we, what we say is most important to us instead of just hammering ourselves over pain. Well, and that's, you talk a lot about that, which is, you know, part of the, the beginning of the awareness. And then the next is to really start to change those behaviors and then implement is really being clear on your priorities. And so when we think of financial planning and, you know, business side and personal side and you know how much money you're making how much money you're spending really it's what you're talking about is now drilling down and being absolutely clear on what are your priorities in life and then how do we measurably achieve those priorities whether it's like you said taking a phenomenal trip to europe next year or to be able to retire by the time i'm 80 right? <laughs> yep, yep. So how do you work with people? You know, you talk about, you know, we have, we have to know where we're starting. 
And so what is an exercise or something that you, you tell people, here's what you should do so that we have clarity around where is your starting point? Yeah, and Sherry, that's a really good question because I, I used to think that was the easy part of financial planning was, I, I, I like to call it your current reality, getting really clear about your current reality. Where are you today? And I used to think that was the easy part because it's pretty much factual, right? You don't need to make any guesses. There's, you know, I, I always assumed there was no emotion involved with it. You just sort of build a personal balance sheet. And if you don't know what a personal balance sheet is, don't worry. Most people don't. Just quickly Google it. It's really simple. In fact, let me tell you, take out a piece of paper, draw a T on it. And on the left-hand side of the top of the T, write assets. And on the right-hand side of the top of the T, write liabilities. It's just a simple T chart. And then you're going to write over under assets. You're going to write everything you own. And and here you're going to you know you're going to put in your 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 savings account, your investment account. You're going to have to make one guess, which is the value of your house. You don't need to run out and buy an appraisal, but you can use Zillow or something. Make a guess. Then on the other side, you're going to write your liabilities. And no guessing on your liabilities. You, you call the credit card companies, call your mortgage place, anything you owe. Get a specific number. Write it down. So that's how you do it pretty easy, right? You total those numbers up, and at the end, you get a little number called net worth that will help you get really clear. And again, Google personal balance sheet, you'll find how to do it. Now, that sounds pretty easy. Here's the problem that I didn't realize after years of asking people to do this and having people tell me that they hadn't done it and they hadn't. Have you done that? No, I haven't done it. I finally found out, like, I started, I started asking why. Here's the reason. Every line item on that balance sheet tells a story, right? Right. Particularly, particularly on the liability side, right? So you write down credit card balance, $4,723, and you tell yourself, gosh, that was that stupid motorcycle I bought. I can't believe I did that. And if you're doing this with a spouse, you tend to get, yeah, that was stupid. Why did you do that? You know? And, and, and now you're in the middle of this big story. And so... What's important about this, go into this expecting it to be a little emotional. And when we expect it to be, we reduce some of the emotion. Put on your no shame, no blame hats again and just get clear. So that's how you do it, right? Build a personal balance sheet. Realize it's going to be emotional. Don't let it be like an electric fence that you didn't know was going to be electric, right? It's going to be electric. Just prepare (laughs) for that. Put on your no shame, no blame hats. If it gets emotional, set it aside. Come back to it. It's okay to look at each other, especially if you're doing this with your spouse, right? Hey, sounds like this is a little emotional for us. Let's come back to it. But don't give up because you've got to get clear about where you're going in order for you to start any journey. You've got to be clear about where you're starting from. Right. And if, and if it's a negative, your net worth is negative because your liabilities <laughs> exceed your assets, then some of that priority, I'm sure for most is, you know, get out of debt and things like that. But it, but it has to, this is where the pain should come in because now once you decide to make a change, then it become it should become non-negotiable. So if it's, I'm going to pay off this one $4,000 credit card, I need to send them, you know, $500 a month so I can get it done in six months then it has to become non-negotiable. Otherwise, you just stay in the same cycle. And I'm sure you've dealt with people like that. Yeah, and I mean, two, two things. Number one, it, it, it does have to become non-negotiable, but it doesn't necessarily have to stay painful. 
you know, it, it is what it is. It's only painful if we sort of, you know, empower it with that pain. We, so I think one way to reduce the pain, because I love the word non-negotiable. That's perfect, right? It might be painful up front. Like, it might be painful for a couple of weeks. Well, that's where the you... sacrifice, because that 500 yeah. has to come from somewhere else, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, you, the, pay, the pain of, of realizing the expectations need to change. I got to adjust some, some, some spending I'm doing. I got to make some change. Yes, that's painful. But one way to reduce the pain after that is to automate that decision, right? So the $500, do not make yourself write a check for $500. Put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and drive it to the mailbox, right? It'll never, then it will never happen. And if it does happen, it's going to be like, you know, hitting yourself with a hammer on the finger every month. Automate it, right? So just say, Mr. Credit Card Company, please, because all, all credit card companies are misters, right? Because they're yes. mean. So Mr. <laughs> credit Card Company, please take $500 from my account every single month as an auto-deduct, so I don't have to think about it. Right. Right. And then that's a behavior change, right? Because now that credit card's paid off in six months or so. And so same thing. But, you know, that I think is where a lot of people get, um, well, they stay in the same place because they have great intentions going in. They may do those payments for a month or two because they didn't do the automation and then pretty soon it's like, oh, it be, you know, something else became more important or a priority. But a huge part of what you talk about in your book, The One Page Financial Plan, is really once you've done some of the work you're suggesting we do, that um, we don't have to think so hard about this. Yeah, I, 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 and I'm just sort of begging you know, your listeners to believe you and I and what we're saying, automate it, right? Automate good behavior. Because then you get rid of the need for willpower and determination and discipline and all those words that sound hard. You got to grit your teeth. Yeah, you're going to have to do that up front, but automate it. And then, Sherry, this might be important to point out, right? Like if you do pay off this example, the $400 a month, $500 a month to the credit card, and then it's paid off, what do you have now? Now you have $500. Don't run out and spend it. Where does that go? either to the next debt in the sort of a la Dave Ramsey, you know, debt avalanche or debt snowball, whatever it's called, or straight into your savings account. And now you've, because you've already gotten used to it, it's automatic behavior. So yeah, just automate the behavior. Automate good behavior, because if left to our own devices, we'll choose poor behavior most of the time. Exactly. We have to go to break, Carl. When we come back, we're going to pick up on this conversation that I'm really enjoying. One of my favorite topics, and that's money. This is Lou Torres from Las Vegas. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she is a leading expert in business development, design, anything that you need in business. Sherry's your person. Sherry Hill is dynamic. Why should you do business with Sage International Incorporated instead of filing a corporation or LLC on your own? Or worse, using one of those $99 plus state fee sites? Well, first, you actually get to talk with someone who is going to work directly with you to develop a business strategy that is tailored specifically to the business you want to start. Second, unless you know what questions to ask, how do you know if the entity you choose will actually do everything you think it should? like protect your assets and significantly reduce your taxes. For over 20 years, Sage International Incorporated has helped thousands of business owners put the proper foundation under their dream. 
If you want to get started on the right business track, schedule your free 30-minute consultation today. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. Next week on The Sherry Hill Show, my guest will be Megan McIntosh, Ph.D., former university professor and currently coach, author, and workshop leader at her company, Emphasis on Excellence, Inc. Listen to the entire uplifting and thought-provoking interview with Megan McIntosh here on The Sherry Hill Show. This is Carl Richards from Park City, Utah. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she asks such great questions. Sherry Hill is the wealth protection diva. Welcome back to the Sherry Hill Show, doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. Unfortunately, the language of investing can turn off both novices and experienced investors with its technical jargon, ticker tape numbers, and news reports full of dry pronouncements about third quarter results and percentages. But you'll be glad to know that keeping track of the day-to-day jolts of the markets is less important to your investment success than understanding why you're investing and how investing works. Since the traditional financial world is complex and not very friendly to the average individual, my astute guest, Carl Richards, a certified financial planner, is famous for cutting through his complexity using a Sharpie to create easy-to-understand sketches that simplify the challenging but important subject of finance. His latest book, The One-Page Financial Plan, A Simple Way to Be Smart About Your Money, dives into the concept that we don't need to be overwhelmed and think we have to create a 100-page plan that we need to obsess about for hours every day. Carl, one of the things you talk about is the fact that we won't always get things right, or more importantly, we have to realize that we may always get things at least a little wrong. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, it's. It, I don't know. This might, Sherry, it might be a newsflash, right? Like, we're not going to always get projections about the future, our guesses about how things are going to look in the world, and what's going to happen tomorrow, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I just think it's sort of like reality. Let's just accept the idea that we're we're not going to get them right. In fact, we're often going to be just a little bit wrong each time, and so then that places all the importance on the stuff over which we have control. Like, let's just be committed to making course corrections when we're a little bit wrong. Right. Let's make, and I I love to compare it to a a flight plan, right? Every pilot I've ever asked, when you ask them if they they build a detailed flight plan before taking off, every one of, well, at least any that I would fly with, (laughs) everyone everyone I've, I've asked has said yes. But if you ask them, how often is your, how often does the flight go exactly according to the plan. Every time I've asked, I've been told never. So does that mean we shouldn't make the plan? No, we should still make the plan. But now we've got to be really committed to the process of course correcting. And that's, that's all we're getting at here is your, your, your ideas about what the future is going to look like are always going to be a little bit wrong. So keep having them, but keep realizing they're going to be wrong. Don't be disappointed or mad at yourself and adjust. 
paying off the credit card bill that, you know, maybe you've had hanging over your shoulder for three or four years and how we tend to want to beat ourselves up. But that's past. That's history. Talk to us about how once you've moved people through some of this uh, work, what are the results? I mean, how, how have you helped people? What I've seen over and over again is when people get clear about this stuff and then put together a written plan, you know, whether it's 100 pages or one page, and my preference would be, you know, often there's a, a bunch of data behind the one-page plan, but my preference is a nice, simple, you know, one-page executive summary. Over and over again, I've seen behavior change and progress made. And, I mean, I, I, I can give you one example I was thinking about the other day. Some friends, actually, they, they live in Las Vegas, and they um, were really committed. They were making good money. They were professionals that have a, a reputation for also spending lots of money. I'm not going give to give it away, but many of these professionals are very high income but often save nothing because they like to buy new fancy cars and big houses. They were really committed to being different, and they had high income but they also had lots and lots of school debt required by their profession. And, and they were committed to saving, to paying down their debt. And, and, and in fact, I can think of two, same, same profession, by the way, two of them that over the course of a couple of years, them just chipping away at debt and then directing that debt into their savings after they got it done and really, really being committed to it, they woke up one day and they're like, oh, my gosh, we're way ahead of schedule way ahead of schedule. And that really came because they were committed to their goals and their goals, that commitment to their goals and reminding themselves of that commitment gave them a sort of that deeper yes we talked about so they could say no to the car that their colleagues were buying and the big houses that their colleagues were buying. And now they're in a spot where they're in the catbird seat, as we say. Life is a little bit more flexible for them. And so I've seen that over and over and over. The process of becoming aware having goals, having them written down, seeing the behaviors change, automating good behavior, and sticking with it for a long, long period of time changes things dramatically. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with guest Carl Richards, author of the newly released The One-Page Financial Plan. And what I really dig about this book is the way that you write, Carl, because it it is so easy to understand and, and you've simplified it. And it just makes it doable for all of us to go, we don't need to be so overwhelmed by the financial side of our life. You know, if you look at that that circle in life, and we have the spiritual, the financial, the relationships, the profession, you know, it's only, it's only supposed to be one little piece of the pie. Yet, so many people put so much emphasis on the money side, and yet, as we have talked about and you have mentioned, we don't have to spend money to be happy. We put so much emphasis on the money side without ever stopping to ask ourselves why. You know, why are we doing this? And I, I just think that's one of the most important words in financial planning is why, because you're right, we wake up. I mean, what happens then is, again, another Stephen Covey, Covey quote, we... We spent our whole lives climbing a ladder only to find out it was leaning against the wrong wall. Right. And I just want to help people prevent that. Well, one of the things that you talk about, and I've learned from phenomenal financial planners in my own life, especially when you have a couple, 
if they never sit down and have the conversation to really determine, you know, why does money matter? What are those goals? Then you find out that, you know, you're 10 years into a marriage or longer and you guys are working for different stuff. And you would think that you would have had this conversation, but it doesn't yeah, happen. I've been surprised. In fact, I've been surprised so often it no longer surprises me when I'm in a, in a meeting with somebody and, and something comes up where one spouse will turn to the other and say, what? I, I didn't know that. Like I, the one I was thinking of is some friends that after being married for over a decade, we we're having this conversation. And, and in fact, they live in Las Vegas, too. They, um, and uh, she said, you know, I'd really like to travel more. And he, we were at dinner and he said, I mean, literally like jaw dropped and said, What? I didn't know you liked to travel. Like, I love to travel. Why are we traveling more? Like, so, and you're like, is this the first time you guys have talked about this? So anyway, it's, it's pretty funny. We just need to talk about it more, don't we? Right. Some good advice then for people seeking good financial, certified financial planners. And, and so these are some of the questions or some of the work that should be occurring before decisions are made about where to invest your money and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, here's the metaphor I like to tell people. Like, imagine walking down the street and having some guy come up to you and hand you a prescription for medicine. And you think, well, I mean, he was wearing a white jacket. So you, you, you go into another really scary place with a bunch of people with white jackets, and you give them the piece of paper, and they give you this jar full of pills. with, And you have to sign a couple things that say, if you, you know, here's all the side effects, and if you die, you won't sue anyone. And you go home and take it. I mean, like, nobody does that. You, 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 so one, one way to measure, I wish there was an easier way, but one way to measure whether you found yourself a real financial advisor or not is if you feel like they're taking the time to thoroughly diagnose long before they prescribe. And if you feel like you walk in and they hand you a prescription and you say, I don't like that, and they say, oh, that's it. you don't like blue, I've got green, and they keep trying to hand you prescriptions – you know, you're in the wrong place. Right. So just feeling like you're thoroughly diagnosed. And one sign of that will be lots of questions and somebody really listening to you and taking good notes. The one-page financial plan. Is there a website? Uh, my website, BehaviorGap, BehaviorGap.com. And there's a simple weekly newsletter that we send out for free with ideas for people who use money. And of course, on the book, you know, I'm a big fan of local bookstores, but remember, Amazon's open 24 hours a day, so you can get them both places. Awesome. Well, I have absolutely enjoyed reading your book, The One-Page Financial Plan, and certainly appreciate you spending time with me here today so we could discuss it. It's about helping people move beyond where they are today, and if there's a simpler way and an easier way, then I know, Carl, you're the master of making that understandable. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. It was a, a real honor. Hey, everybody. Do go out and purchase the one-page financial plan. I can promise you that it's going to help you really understand where you're at and where you want to get to. And what I love is he draws these just great little pictures. So if you're visual like me, then definitely you want to see how to do it. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show and tune in next week, same time. 
same station for the Sherry Hill Show. This is Peter Padilla, your host on Nevada Real Estate Radio. Are you looking for great values on a real estate or mortgage transaction? Listen to our show, Nevada Real Estate Radio. Deal with professionals that you know, like, and trust. Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m., KLAV, 1230 a.m., the talk of Las Vegas.